This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. With awesome voices raised You don't need a congregation To offer me your praise You don't need a mighty orchestra To bless me with your song You get all of my attention When you worship me alone Mm -hmm. You don't need majestic choirs With awesome voices raised You don't need a congregation To offer me your praise You don't need a mighty orchestra to bless me with your song. You get all of my attention when you worship me alone. I love it when I hear you sing your song and worship me alone. Oh, I love it when I hear you sing your song and you worship me. Tim. Don't you just like that guy? He's a pretty good guy most of the time. You know, I always uh, sometimes just wonder how God works, and I haven't figured it out yet. Um, You know, why He leads me in particular directions. You know, obviously today is kind of a day of mourning and sorrow, and um, and sometimes I get to Sunday after the events of maybe the weekend, and I think, wow, this doesn't fit. But for a couple of weeks, I've, I've felt led that uh, God was leading me to this particular topic, and so I trust Him and uh, believe that this is, um, that I'm following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and uh, so I trust Him on that as well. Let's just bow our heads one more time. Father, I ask that you would just be with us um, today, as we as we study your word, would you help us to focus on on your word and um, 
just the way that for a couple of weeks I've been feeling led to go this direction, and I ask God that you would just um, anoint your word today in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, uh, I, I want to, with God's help, try to debunk a myth that our American version of Christianity has swallowed. Now, this myth, from my perspective, is a very dangerous myth because it has come to redefine our theology. It's come to reshape the way that we view God and even the way that we respond to God. The, the myth to which I'm referring is the myth that, above all else, God always wants me happy. And uh, without meaning to be critical, I've even heard some members of this church make statements showing that they've, they've come to believe this. Now, here's the way that this uh, myth plays out, or what I've come to refer to as a theology of happiness. This is kind of the way it, it's affected our mindset about God. We've come to believe that if we give our heart to God, if we go to church, if we pay our tithe, or at least make a reasonable effort to pay our tithe, if we treat each other right, if we um, if we make an effort to live a life that pleases God, then God pretty much should focus on making us happy. I mean, He should make us happy through good health. Uh, I mean, doing the right things should inoculate us against cancer or any other disease like that, should inoculate us against any tragedy like we had this weekend. Or, or trying to follow God should should guarantee that, that He will make us happy in the area of our finances. So we should never have to struggle financially. Or, or trying to follow God should, should mean that He will make us happy in the area of our family. I, I mean, our marriage should always be great. Our, our kids should always turn out right and marry right. And, and we've come to believe that since we've pushed all the right buttons at least we feel that way in our minds, that, that God needs to make us happy and reward us because we've been a good boy or a good girl. And, and we will even go to the Bible and say that the Bible backs this, and, and, and we will use verses such as Psalm ninety-seven, twelve, where it says, May all who are godly be happy. And, and, and I'll admit that, that that sounds like enough proof, but... but but that's not the context of that verse. Not even close. You know, we as Christians are really guilty of picking out verses and, and taking them out of context, and, and we twist them to say what we want them to say. And, and I get amused at how often we do this. You know, the famous verse of, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, we pick that out and say, well, I can, you know, do whatever. I can do all things through Christ. Well, do, do you understand that... Uh, do you understand the context of that verse? And that's not the, the, the topic today. But do you really understand the context of that verse? Or, or we hear this verse in Jeremiah that many young people use, graduation season, you know, I know the plans I have for you to prosper, you not to harm you, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so we pick out that verse, and many times it's not in context. But anyway, this verse that, that says, may all who are godly be happy is not a verse backing this theology of happiness. And we'll come back to this verse at the end of our study, so just hold this verse in the back of your mind for a few moments. 
Now, to kick off our study, let me show you some dangers of this myth or this theology of happiness. If we believe that God's supreme goal for us is our happiness, then first of all, it leads us to think that whatever makes us happy must be right. You know, Cheryl Crow sings a a song, and some of the lyrics are not fit to repeat, but, but there's one phrase that sums it all up, and it says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. And that's pretty much what our, what our society believes. If, if it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad because we've come to believe that God always wants us happy. And that's problem number one with this myth. Well, that leads us to the second problem with this theology, and that is that we begin to think that whatever makes us unhappy then must be wrong. And so if we should ever go through any discomfort or delay or inconvenience, then we're quick to attribute this to the devil because inconvenience, waiting, discomfort surely can't be of God. Because again, we think that God always wants us happy. Let me bring this really close to home with a couple of examples. If if we believe that God always wants us happy, then if we find ourselves unhappy on the job, here's what we begin to think. We begin to think that the job is not right for us because God wants us happy. We're not happy on the job. So therefore, God must have a a different and a better job for us. And, And God may have a different and a better job for you, but he also may be growing you and developing you And have you ever thought that he may want you to help change the atmosphere where you work? Did you know that there is no job that is always free of stress and free of problems? You know, even my job where you think I just work one day a week, you would be surprised with the number of problems that we deal with on that one day a week, actually on a daily basis that are stressful. You know, another example illustrating this, the flaw in this philosophy, if, if we truly believe that whatever makes us happy is right, and whatever makes us unhappy is wrong, then if we find ourselves unhappy in our marriage, then this theology can cause us to think, hey, God doesn't want us to be unhappy the rest of our lives. I mean, life is too short for that. So we begin to justify things in our mind and think, well, God probably has someone better, more compatible for me. Another example, if if we find ourselves unhappy in a church, hey, let's just start checking out other churches until we find one that makes us happy. And never mind that we could actually roll up our sleeves and make the church a better place. Hey, let's just go where we can be happy because whatever makes us unhappy must be wrong. And yes, there may be a time to switch churches. I'm not saying that. But I wonder sometimes what would happen if in a church when, when pastors, and by the way, pastors generally switch churches every three or four or five years, but when pastors get unhappy and then bail or go to another church or members get unhappy and go somewhere else, if we could all join together and make a difference and change the bad and make the church of Jesus Christ what it really is supposed to be instead of just leaving, wonder what the church could really be like just a thought. Thirdly, this theology of happiness causes us to worship the false gods of comfort, money, and pleasure. You know, when when you think about this, what is it that makes most Americans happy? Money, comfort, pleasure. 
And so if we believe that, that God always wants us happy, then money, comfort, and pleasure will become our primary goal in life because we think that whatever makes us happy is what should take the majority of our energy. And so the bottom line of this whole theology of happiness is, is a mindset that God exists just to serve us. God exists just to bless us. God exists just to bring good things into our lives. But God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. And let, let me say it again. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. And if we begin to think that God's main purpose is to always make us happy, then, then basically we have reduced the God of the universe to a cosmic Coke machine or a cosmic vending machine. You, you know, if I put my money in the machine, press the button, then the machine should give me exactly what I asked for. But if that machine gives me something else or doesn't give me anything at all, eats my quarter, then we grumble, we complain, we say bad things, sometimes kick the machine. And we have a tendency to treat God like that Coke machine. You know, God, I'm going to make it a priority to go to church. I'm going to try to pay my tithe. I'm not going to smoke, drink, or chew. And what are we supposed to add to that or run with girls who do? I'm going to be nice to cats from now on. Even though they're part of the satanic trinity. So God, I want you to take notice and reward me because I'm a good boy or a good girl. And, and, and there are a couple of results of this myth. First, first, Christianity has been reduced to a bunch of formulas. You know, God, I said my prayers, I read my Bible, I went to church, I gave him the offering. You know, I dodged the cat that was crossing the road. Um, so, so therefore, God, because of all those good things that I've done, then my headache should go away. Or I should get that job. Or my marriage should be good. Or I should get that house. Or my spouse should be healed. Because I put my money in the machine, press the button, and so God, use my cosmic vending machine, should give me what I want. You know, another result of this myth is that many people have become disenchanted with God because the reality is that life never, ever works out that way. You know, last night it just, it broke my heart as I was talking with Kelly Bryson and she said we had dreams to grow old together. You know, life doesn't always work out like we want. Bad things happen to good people. And I know some would say, well, don't ever speak bad things because they might come upon you. Well, you can refrain from speaking bad things and only speak good things until you die. But bad things will still happen in your life because that's reality. And that's why so many people who believe in the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine, many of those people end up walking away from God. And they say things like, well, I tried the God thing. I went to church. I read my Bible. I avoided speaking bad things so they wouldn't come up on me, but I still got cancer. I still have other physical problems. I'm still struggling financially. So what happened, God? I put my money in the machine, pressed the button, but you didn't give me what I wanted. God, you failed me. God didn't fail you. The problem is you develop the wrong concept of God, which 
led you into the very false theology of happiness. Now, having said that, I will tell you that God does delight in your happiness. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Just as any parent is delighted when his child is happy, so does it please the heart of God to see his children happy. In Matthew 7, 11, it says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? God loves to shower you with his blessings, but his highest goal is not your happiness. And he does not just want you to pursue happiness. God wants you to pursue him. Now for the rest of our time together, we're going to look at two specific instances where God does not want you happy. First of all, God does not want you happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. You know, when our happiness comes about because of sin in our lives or something that's not wise or something that's not good for us, or good for our family, and that God does not want us happy. And the problem here is that many times we have a tendency to dwell on something long enough until we come to believe it and justify it in our lives. And so we will start out knowing that something is wrong, but we do it long enough until we convince ourselves that it's not so bad after all, and we begin to forget that it's not right. Or that it's a risk to our health or reputation. A couple of winters ago, I took my grandson out to our farm, and it was when we had gone through a really, really cold spell, and things were icy. And so I bundled up Jace, and I took him out there, and we went to our pond. And, and the pond was frozen fairly solid, and I didn't trust the ice enough to go out to the middle of the pond, but right by the spillway, there was quite a bit of standing water that had frozen, and, and I got the idea to have Jace do some ice skating. Not, not with skates, but just sliding around. And, and I knew there were some risks involved. Uh, he might fall and hurt himself. He might break through the ice, but it wouldn't be very deep there. And so a little bit of a risk, but a risk has never stopped me. Uh, so I egged Jace on, and, and I videoed this all on my phone. And, and, and I was like a broadcaster, even though nobody else was there yet. I was announcing to the world that Jace would be performing a marvelous ice skating routine I was documenting this moment, this great moment for his mom and for his Grammy, and, and he would go sliding back and forth, and, and he would spin around, you know, like they do, and it, it was pretty cool. And I don't know where he learned that, because we don't watch ice skating at our house. Uh, I would rather watch professional wrestling than ice skating. Uh, to, to me, watching ice skating is about as, as exhilarating as watching water boil. It's just not something that interests me, but anyway, I was about to tell him that that was enough, but, but I thought, I'll let him go around one more time. And, and you know, all of us have some regrets in life. <laughs> and that one more time is one of those regrets in, in, that I still have. As, as Jace spun around one last time before coming, sliding back to me, his feet went out from under him, and it happened so fast, he didn't have time to put his hands down to cushion the fall. His face hit the ice and took the full impact. And and, and there on that quiet, cold winter evening, you could just hear it pop. It, it had just a sickening thud to it, and ice isn't very forgiving. If you've ever fallen on ice, you know that it has no cushion value to it. And instantly, when, when, when Jace's face took the full impact, it was like blood exploded everywhere. 
And I was there alone with Jace, and, and we were quite a ways away from the truck, and I was trying to figure out where the blood was coming from. You know, was it coming from his nose, his mouth, his chin, his forehead, or all of the above? And but there was so much blood to begin with, I couldn't even tell where the blood was coming from. And, and of course, he was wailing. And, and my farm is in Vernon County, but it's right in the corner where it's within shouting distance of, of St. Clair and Cedar Counties as well as the three-county corner there. And and so I know that everybody within those three counties could hear him wailing on that still evening, and there were no leaves on the trees to muffle the sound. And well, I finally figured out that the blood was gushing from his nose, and, and I used my cloth gloves to try to sop up and mop up part of the blood, and we made our way back to the truck and got the truck started and got it finally to get warm and warmed him up. And, and then, ladies and gentlemen, I began to prepare myself for the reaction that I would get from his mom. <laughs> you know, as badly as I, I knew he was hurting, and he was, he was really hurting. Um, little guy was hurting, but once we got home and I told his mom what I had encouraged him to do, I knew that my wounds would probably be greater than his wounds. And <laughs> that idea that originally seemed like such an amazing idea of Jay skating around on the ice ended up being a terrible idea that had bloody consequences. And, and that right there is, is an example of what so many people do in life. They think, well, this is going to be so much fun and it will make me happy. And, and yeah, it may be a little bit of a risk to my reputation, but it will make me happy. It will be fun. It'll be okay. And, and yes, uh, be, because it is kind of wrong, once I do it, then I'll just ask God to forgive me and we'll be good again. Well, as I said last week, sin can be fun for a little while. But the fun that sin offers is short-lived. I mean, you know that. The, the hangover and the throwing up isn't so much fun afterwards, is it? Some of you know. The liver failure isn't so much fun. The lung cancer isn't so much fun. The broken family isn't so much fun. The night in jail isn't so much fun. The embarrassment isn't so much fun. The explaining isn't so much fun. And the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. There are consequences at the end of our sin. So when it comes to our decisions, big or little, though it might bring us some temporary happiness, we should never, ever, ever make decisions based on our happiness. You know, I've heard married people say, well, I'm just not happy in my marriage anymore. And, and I know God understands and he wouldn't want me miserable for the rest of my life. And, and we begin to justify the wrongdoing. You know, I'm not happy. My spouse isn't meeting my needs in the bedroom. So I have a right to look at this stuff. I mean, it's not like I'm climbing in bed with anyone. I'm just looking at some pictures. Or yeah, I may be crossing the line, but neither of us is married and, and it's consensual. And so it's not like I'm forcing myself on anyone. We're not hurting anyone. Or we're so in love and it's like we're already married in our hearts. You know, we just don't have that piece of paper to make it legal. So what's wrong with that? This theology of happiness causes us to justify our actions and find reasons why we think God will excuse what we're doing. And we say, sure, you know, no one else understands. It's none of their business. They have no right to judge me. But God understands my heart. I've got a good heart. That's all that matters. I love God. He loves me. We're good. Just remember this. God has not called us to be happy but he's called us to be holy. Our holiness is much more important to God than our happiness. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. And by the way, when we live a life of holiness, the happiness will follow. And, and this is kind of off point, but since I'm speaking, I guess I have the right to get off point. But as I talk about the matter of holiness, I'm afraid that much of our entertainment today is not holy. I mean, and think, think about it. So much of the stuff that we watch, uh, you know, movies, television shows, they're nothing but pure filth. And, and if you ever wonder whether or not you should watch a particular show, line it up with this grid, and I've given it to you before, but Philippians 4, 8, 9 says, fix your thoughts on what's true. So there's the first part of the grid, and honorable, and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned from me, heard from me, saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. So how do we get the God of peace to be with us? Well, we follow this grid. This is God's standard for movies. This is God's standard for music. This is God's standard for conversation. Does it line up? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? if it lines up to that God says help yourself enjoy but if it doesn't line up to that we need to distance ourselves from that so first God doesn't want you happy if it causes you to do something wrong or unwise secondly God doesn't want you happy when it's only based on the things of this world you know, if you watch secular advertising, it's fascinating what you need to, to be happy. In one hour of primetime television, you can learn that there are three things in order for you to be happy. A new truck, Amen. and since Harold's here, I'll say a new Ford truck. Uh, knowing how to sonic. If you don't know how to sonic, you need to learn how to sonic. And then a new cell phone. In fact, here's the formula that culture tells us will bring true happiness. Newer, faster, shinier, bigger, better. Or when it comes to your looks, if you aren't happy, here's the formula to change that. Tuck it, lift it, puff it, smooth it, trim it, shave it, whatever. <laughs> but the problem is that all of those things are based on the things of this world. It's like, and they're nothing but counterfeits. They're not the real thing. It's like when I go to the grocery store, faith sends me to buy one thing. One thing. And honey... Sometimes it's best not to say amen, okay? <laughs> Faith sends me to buy one thing, but any time a man goes to the grocery store, <laughs> but there are actually three things that will happen. Number one, we'll get the wrong thing. It's what we do. And all of the men said amen, and the women said amen as well. Number two, we will get something that wasn't on the list. We can't help it. God built it into our DNA you know, most of the time we're commissioned to go to the grocery store right before supper. We're hungry, which means we will come back with several things that aren't on the list, but they were good deals and they tasted good. And it's just in the last week, why Faith sent me for two or three things. And, and, and she was watching when I walked in the door, she was looking through the bags. How many things did you get, Joe? <laughs> Number three, and the worst thing that we do is we look at something on the list and we try to substitute something cheaper. And I get home and I say, honey, you know, you'll be so proud of me. I saved eight cents by buying off-brand. <laughs> and Faith responds back, yes, but Joe, off-brand is good for a lot of stuff, but 
if I use the off-brand in lasagna, the texture and the taste isn't the same as it is with the name-brand stuff. And Joe, that's why I wrote down exactly what I wanted you to get. You did a good job just not saying anything, honey. (laughs) That's what the world does. It tries to substitute a cheap imitation based on the things of the world instead of the real thing that God offers. You know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 is so pointed and direct. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. This hurts. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If that verse doesn't convict you in any way, you probably are in a much higher state of grace than I am. You know, if you love the world or anything in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Loving the world means we are loving a cheap imitation. And God has something far better for you than just happiness from the world. He wants you blessed. And the Greek word that's translated blessed is the word makarios, or for you Greek scholars, you actually roll your R's in Greek, makarios. And and it can literally be translated, and this is so cool, more than happy. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you more than happy. And when you have God's blessings, you're more than happy. And that doesn't mean more money or better health or that you won't ever have a bad day. It doesn't mean that your kids won't ever fight. Hey, it doesn't even mean that your wife and you won't ever fight or your husband and you won't ever fight. It doesn't mean that your car won't ever break down. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you might, you will have trouble. That's one of the promises in the Bible we don't like you will have trouble. But then he goes on and says, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Living a blessed life means you will experience the goodness and the presence of God in the middle of the difficulties of life. And that's so different than America's concept of God's blessings. I mean, think about it for a moment. When you hear someone refer to being blessed by God, generally, It's when they've gotten a raise and they say, oh, God, really bless me. I got a raise at work this past week. Or they say it when they've been healthy. You know, I've been blessed. I haven't gotten the crud that everyone else has gotten. Or I've been blessed because my kids have turned out right and they married right. Or I've been blessed because someone slipped me a $100 bill after the service last Sunday. And those are blessings. But don't think that God's blessings always mean good health or a raise at work or whatever. Because if you think that's the sum of God's blessings, then if your health goes and you get cancer, does that mean that you no longer have God's blessings? Or because of the cancer, your nest egg begins disappearing, you struggle financially? Does that mean that you're no longer blessed by God? Or if you're a good kid who is married to a good kid, all of a sudden... You hear they're getting a divorce. Does that mean that you're no longer blessed? 
In the middle of health problems, you can still be blessed. In the middle of financial problems, you can still be blessed. In the middle of the storm. And so many of you are going through a storm. Rick and Rosie, you're going through a storm. You lost a brother. And so we've mentioned some of the others. In the middle of the storm, you can still be blessed. Because God's blessings come in the form of supernatural peace that goes beyond your human ability to ever understand or even comprehend. And so even though you may never ever choose that storm again, yet you can actually rejoice in your sufferings because they are causing you to become mature and complete in Christ. Uh, Tim, I didn't get permission. Sometimes it's easier to get forgiveness than permission, but Tim was in my office this past week, and Tim had cancer, just horrible experience, and he was telling me that through that experience, he actually came to know God in a true way, a real way. And so Tim can say, I got cancer, but God blessed me, because as a result of that, I came to know Jesus. You know, David said in Psalm 34, 37, 4, he said, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, and that word delight comes from a Hebrew word that carries the idea of being made soft and pliable. And, and so as we seek God in his righteousness, he's the object of our affection. We're not pursuing happiness anymore, but we're pursuing God. And we're soft and pliable and being made conformable to his image. And we're now praying, not my will, but your will be done. And that translates something in, into something better than health, wealth, and prosperity. It translates into God's blessings, or as someone said, his supernatural strength. Is his super meeting our natural? You know, Max Licato used an illustration. Um, he said, if you take a fish out of water and put it on the beach, would the fish be happy? Yes or no? No. If the fish were given a million dollars, would that fish be happy? Yes or no? No. Okay, let's add to that the nicest condo in Maui. Would the fish be happy? No. How about high-speed internet? Or how about the latest iPhone or Galaxy cell phone? You know what? None of those things matter to the fish because the fish was not created for those things the fish was created for the water and so it doesn't matter what you offer the fish if he's out of the water he won't be happy likewise if you have everything this world has to offer will you be ultimately and lastingly happy the answer is no why because you were not created for earth for earth you were created for heaven you were created for eternity. We're just passing through. We're just visitors, temporary immigrants. We have our green card for earth, but we're not citizens. We're citizens of a better place. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me here. Lower your expectations of earth. No new car, no new house, no new job, no new spouse is going to satisfy the cravings of your heart because you were not created for this world. You were created for heaven. 
And some of you here, you found out the hard way. You, you've tried everything there is to try. You've partied, you've consumed every substance known to mankind, you've rearranged your body, you've traded in girlfriends or boyfriends or spouses for new ones, you've traded jobs, you've traded cars, you've traded houses, yet none of those things fills the void long-term. Why? Because you were not created to be satisfied with this world. You were created for heaven. Now, Remember way back when we began this lesson, I started off with a verse that said, May all who are godly be happy. But I intentionally did not give you the whole verse. Now I want to give you the rest of the verse because this will tie the message together. Here's what it really says. May all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise his holy name. So, where's our happiness found? In the Lord. In the Lord. So, this week, let's seek God. Let's pursue God. Let's serve God. And you will be more than happy. Remember, God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. He wants you more than happy. Lord, we just ask you to take these words. More than that, take your word. Lord, I pray that you would be able to, this week, understand that some of us maybe are pursuing the wrong things. We're, we're looking for a temporary buzz just kind of uh, we go from one thing to another one hobby whatever just to be able to bring some satisfaction and then Lord we buy that and it just that thrill is so short lived because then we're wanting something else and and so God I pray that you would just help us to pursue you this week we wouldn't pursue happiness. We would pursue God. And so, Lord, uh, help us what it really means, un- help us to understand what it really means to be blessed. And God, uh, when you give us good things, we're blessed. But when bad things happen to us, we're still blessed because circumstances, situations, things aren't really blessings the blessings is the peace of God that passes all understanding and again Lord as we go from here be with those that are hurting those that are sorrowing help us as a body of Christ to respond in the right way help us to know what to say help us to know what not to say Lord let us uh, be there for all of these people and others that are that are hurting We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.